The Gospel of Matthew calls the reader to respond to the kingdom of heaven as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. That's why we call this series, and we will keep calling it, Follow Me. Everybody say, Follow Me. Those were the words that Matthew would have, uh, that we have on record, that Matthew first heard Jesus. Now, Matthew may have heard Jesus say some other things, but there was a moment when, when Jesus' eyes met Matthew's, and he looked at him, and he said, follow me. And in that moment, Matthew's life changed. He could have, I suppose, declined. But when he said, follow me, Matthew literally got up, left everything that he used to be, and devoted himself to to not just following Jesus around, but, but imitating Jesus. From that moment on, being a disciple meant to live for and to live like Jesus. That's what being a disciple of Jesus is. That's what it means to follow him. And, the, and this book tells the reader what that means. This book of Matthew says to the reader, this is what it means to follow Jesus. So far, we've seen after the the birth narrative, after the Christmas story and whatnot, we have have been paying attention to John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been at the the banks of the River Jordan preaching repentance and baptizing people. And we've spent two Sundays listening to him preaching about repentance. And it's been so good that my staff has created shirts with a happy face that says, I've repented, uh, don't you want to, or you know, how about you, or something. Yeah, I've repented, how about you, with a big smiley face. Because the, the idea is that no one who repents regrets it. Right. Everybody who genuinely repents has joy afterward. And it's, been a, it's a huge deception for the word repent to be, to, to be having somehow get slid over with the connotation that that's negative and that's like it's somehow a mean-spirited word. That, you know, oh, that's mean-spirited. No, it's not. It is an invitation to hope. It, well, it's more than an invitation. It's an imperative. It's a command for, our, for a radical commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ to turn your life around, to abandon the path of destruction and come to the path of life. That is good news. So no one came to John the Baptist and, and repented and walked away saying, oh, man, that's horrible. I hope I never have to go through that again. As a matter of fact, I've got a lot of messages from people in the church just saying, man, you know, I've just been repenting all week, and my joy level just keeps getting more. <laughs> We've heard John the Baptist preaching about repentance, and last week after he said he talked about how he baptized in water, but then he told them that, that someone was coming, a mighty one was coming with a mighty baptism for them. This morning we land at verse 13. Verse 13 in Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus arrived. Now, your Bible might have, might have an asterisk on there or a note in the margin that Matthew uses a, uh, a rhetorical a, a writing device there. He actually changes the tense of the verb on purpose for effect. So in the original, we read, then Jesus arrived, because we're reading it in past tense. But Matthew changed that. And in, the, in Matthew's narrative, it says, John was saying this, was saying this, was saying this. And then it said, then Jesus arrives. Everybody just say, then Jesus arrives. Then Jesus arrives. <laughs> Just say it again, then Jesus arrives. Now, look, we've been waiting since Genesis for this to happen. 
The world is, since, since, since creation anticipated him, the fall of man necessitated him, the prophets promised him, the people have longed for him, creation has grown for him. The angels announced him that he was born, and then he goes into obscurity. Where is he? He's born in the manger. We don't hear from him again. He's gone. He's, 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 he's being hidden away from, from the darkness and the dark powers on the earth and, and political forces that sought to take his life. He disappears. We don't hear from him again. Decades go by. Crazy man shows up and dressed in camel hair and starts saying, He's coming! And then, without any instruments, drum rolls, or anything. Just one day. I mean, come on. One day. There, again, we think everything has to be a Hallmark movie. And there's got to be this, and there's got to be the drama, and there's got to be music, and there's got to be... And we, would, we would imagine there's probably, that before he came, probably 14, you know, ensemble choirs and robes. Ah, all hail the power of Jesus' name. And as he wandered down the hillside... But they're doing all the things, and all of a sudden, in the middle of an ordinary day, in the middle of a moment, then Jesus arrives. Now, number one, this, this moment, that, those three words changes everything for all eternity, changes the narrative, changes the Bible. But I'll tell you what, in the same way, then Jesus arrives will change your life. Uh, your Tuesday, your Thursday, your Wednesday morning, that in the middle of, of I, don't, I don't know what, the middle of nothing's really a big deal, there isn't a choir happening, but all of a sudden he shows up and nothing's the same. Then Jesus arrives. Can you feel it? Then Jesus arrives from Galilee to the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. Verse 14. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. But Jesus answering said to him, permit, permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. Coming to be baptized, and John tries to prevent him. This is interesting and important. Matthew wants us to know that Jesus comes to be baptized, and, but John doesn't say, well, it's about time. I've been waiting for you. Let's get you in here. I'm sure glad the Fiskum sat here. Otherwise, I would think, Ray, you guys just took over this section. But at least, but that's all right. Yeah, I'm glad. Everybody's over here. That's a nice, that's a nice group. Yeah. John says, why are you doing this? This is not necessary. This is not an incidental part of the narrative. It's important. Because, again, if John would have said, well, it's about time or whatever, then we might historically have somehow assumed or believed that Jesus needed to repent and be baptized. But right away, John wants us to know, and Matthew wants us to know that John knew, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I need to be baptized by you. You, the message here is, Jesus, you have no need to repent or to be baptized. You aren't bringing any sin with you into these waters. Without, without any, no one had really articulated, other than the, in the, the intertestamental literature, no one had, art, had articulated the sinlessness of Jesus yet, but John knew it. 
Jesus did not need to, be, need to repent. He brought no sin, no guilt with him into the waters of baptism. What he did bring there was his obedience and our redemption. Jesus said, I understand. Jesus essentially says, yes, you're right. I don't need to be, but permit it now in order to fulfill all righteousness. Would you all say that phrase with me? To fulfill all righteousness. Let's do this to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? What did it mean for Jesus when he said, this this needs to happen to fulfill all righteousness? What did it mean for him, and what does it mean for us? For what it it meant for Jesus when he said, let's do this to fulfill all righteousness, we first of all just say, well, what does that mean? Righteousness means to do all that God wants. Righteousness means to do things that are God's will. It means to fully please God. Okay, so then what Jesus said is we need to do this because this is what God wants. We need to do this because this is the will of God. Jesus was obeying the will of God, number one. Furthermore, Jesus was consecrating himself to the purpose of God. He was about to embark on the messianic mission. And the, this was the path, the first path, the first, this is the rite of passage for him to begin to embark on this mission. And it was an act of consecrating himself to God's purposes. So it, for, for him to get in the waters of baptism, he was, this was to fulfill the will of God, the plan of God, and to consecrate himself to him. A lot of people see, and I think it's reasonable, that uh, uh, these, these foreshadowings. Back in Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, chapter 16 and verse 4, it's before Aaron, the high priest, would, would, go, would, would enter into the process of, of uh, the atoning sacrifice to do the sacrifice of atonement for the people, to bring a a, a sacrifice for forgiveness for the people. Before he did that, before he began the process of atonement, he himself submitted, his whole body would be washed with water as an act of consecration to God. So there's probably lots of images at work here, but the idea is that Jesus is his baptism is indicative. It indicates that his own obedience to God and his consecration to the purpose of God. He was obeying himself. He was consecrating himself. But, the, but there was more. Jesus is also identifying himself with us. He's obeying God. He's consecrating himself. And he's identifying. Somebody say identifying. What do you mean, Dav? Jesus, as God become man, has already entered into our experience. And here, at the waters of baptism, Jesus comes as us. Repenting and being baptized. He does this somewhat vicariously. Not so that we don't have not so that we don't have to, but so that our repentance and baptism matters. He goes first so that ours matters. 
He identifies with us. He, he submits to baptism, to, to having the old life being drowned, burying the old, and being raised in new. As such, his baptism was predictive. It was symbolic of his own death and resurrection that saves us. If he, the Son of God and the Son of Man, were not baptized, our baptism would have been meaningless. But, he, but, he went, but just as he always does, he goes before us and makes the way. So then, therefore, what it means for us is that righteousness is fulfilled. We follow Jesus into these waters of baptism. I grew up hearing that phrase, have you followed the Lord in baptism? What does that mean? Have you, literally, have you followed him into those waters? Have you follow, we follow him into those waters, and then his baptism makes our baptism meaningful. Our baptism means something because Jesus, as he identified with us, now we identify with him. We join Jesus in baptism. By faith, we enter these waters as an act of faith, and we share then in Christ's death and resurrection. It's so much more than just getting wet. <laughs> I, am, I, am, I, am, I, am, I am identifying with Jesus, just as he came to identify with me. Now I share in him, and in Christ, I, I identify with his death, and I too die with him, and I identify with his resurrection. As I come coming up out of those waters saying, I identify with the hope, with the reality, with the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ain't no grave going to hold me down. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, Paul said, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism unto death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might too walk in newness of life. So water baptism, it anticipates resurrection life, and that resurrection life starts now. starts with newness of life now. 1 Peter 3.21, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus enters the waters of baptism to fulfill all righteousness, demonstrating his righteousness and providing for ours. It is baptism symbolizes what he does for us. We follow him into those waters. And then, verse 16, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, everybody say behold. That means look at this. Check this out. Jesus came up immediately from the water, which means he was immersed. He got, he, John didn't hold him down there. He came up out of the water. Other gospel says that he began, that he, as he came up, he's praying there. Mark's gospel, well, we'll tell you that later. And behold, the heavens were opened. 
That's where Mark's gospel said, and the, the language in Mark's gospel is, and the heavens were torn open. Not that somebody down here tore them, but that somehow what Jesus just did changed everything. The heavens were open. Just say that out loud with me, please. The heavens were open. This is a brand new phrase. Honestly, it's, it would be difficult for you to find. It would be a stretch. There, you won't find a cross-reference or a quote or an allusion. This is a new phrase. This is a new thing. Something happened here that has not happened since creation itself. Heavens, the heavens opened. It wasn't just that the clouds rolled around. There was something spiritual. Something happened. The, the realm of God broke in and tore open this. The veil between heaven and earth was torn open in that moment. Something happened. Heaven opened. Heaven invaded earth. And I want you to try to feel the hope. From that moment on, we've not been separated from heaven. From that moment on, there's been a connection. That's why Jesus called himself Jacob's ladder. He is the connection, the ladder between heaven and earth that angels are descending and descending. He said, that's under that, that ladder. That's me. That's me. I'm the connection between heaven and earth. He's the God man. And he comes up out of the water and, it, and the sign, just the symbol. He hasn't even died on the cross yet, but he's, but, he's, but he's taken the pledge. He's consecrated himself by faith and enacted that life and death, that, life, that death and resurrection. And because of that, heaven has been torn open. And the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting upon him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. After heaven is torn open, opened up before the Lord, the Holy Spirit descended in some visible form. I know everybody wants to draw the picture of a literal dove coming down. I, I don't know what it was, if it was a literal. Why did they say dove? Was there, did he flutter? I don't know. But the, the Holy Spirit descended. Here's what's important. In some visible form, in some discernible, not corporeal, but some visible form, and rested upon Jesus in a manner that a dove would have. It looked and seemed and felt like a dove. What's the deal with that? What's the deal with the dove? Well, we know that in Scripture and in the wheel, even just even almost common sense, we know that doves characterize and they did characterize purity and gentleness. They characterize for us the graciousness of the Spirit. This is gr- the grace of heaven landing upon Jesus, perhaps. But doves were also used as messengers. They carried messages. <sighs> I mean, that's, that's fine. He's, you know, Dove is this pure white bird and it's gentle soap and all that stuff. But I, I just wonder if that, if that, if, if that, there's not, but he's a, there's the messenger, there's activity. Wait, what? What message was this Dove sending? Well, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, the hovering of the Spirit of God 
was attributed to the activity of a dove by Jewish writers. So Matthew's audience would have heard the echo of the activity of creation. The descending, the, the hovering of the dove, is, was the, it's the same idea, the same feel, as, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the, over the depth. They would have heard the echo of creation. This was a message that something new was coming. In Genesis chapter 8, and verses 8 through 12, after the flood, the dove is the harbinger of hope. Noah sends out a dove the first time and it returns, finding no place to rest. Then he sends it out a second time and the dove returns with an olive branch in its grip. And this was a sign to Noah that things have changed. The dove carrying this olive branch was a sign that the things had changed, that the tide had turned, that hope had triumphed, that judgment was passing. Jesus, tradition says, Jesus was likely crucified on olive wood. But then, but then, Noah sends the dove out another time. After he brings back the olive branch, he releases the dove again. And this time in in, in Genesis, the dove never returns. And the reader infers that this means that the dove has found a permanent place to rest. And then the waters recede. The dove is a harbinger of hope. But you know what the old preacher once asked? We aren't told where that old dove went or how long it looked for a permanent resting place. I wonder where that dove went. Did he ever find a place to descend and to remain? How long did he go back and forth across the earth looking for a final place to indicate that hope had arrived? Look here. Here he comes, here he rests, remaining upon the hope of the whole world and remaining upon him. The heavens are open and the spirit descends upon Jesus. And here is the thing here. Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit. He is anointed with the Holy Spirit in this moment. Jesus comes up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descends upon him. You need to feel this moment because. Although he's been prophesied as Christ, that the Christ is born, he is the Messiah, this is the Messiah moment. If, you, if you'll hear what I'm saying, is Messiah means anointed one. This is that anointing. What did Jesus do in life and word and ministry before this moment? Nothing. He's fully divine, he is God, but he is God who has emptied himself of divine privilege and he and he has he lives as he did as 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 you and i do with the limitations of humanity but in this moment the holy spirit descends upon him and everything that jesus did after this he did because of this you need to feel the confidence the the supreme importance of this moment everything that jesus did after this he did because of it he emptied himself, having emptied himself of divine privilege, Jesus totally 
relies upon the Holy Spirit. If we're, if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to see how he did it. If we're going to follow him, we need to see how he did it. We follow him into the waters of baptism in anticipation of, of, of the old being washed away and being raised to newness of life. And now we see that after that, the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus and Jesus totally relies upon the Holy Spirit. And this experience defines and determines his whole life and ministry forward. And then accompanying this anointing is a voice. A voice that affirms the Father's love and delight. Jesus is anointed by the Spirit, and in that is also affirmed by the Father. This voice affirms that Jesus is the Son, <laughs> and it is a, He is the Son that the Father loves and that the Father delights in. I love you, and you bring me joy. It's the voice of heaven to Jesus, who's the Son of Man, who stands vicariously for all humanity. And in Jesus' obedience, in His coming, and in His obedience, He now, He's changing the tide. He is revealing the truth, or reversing the curse, or however you want to say it, whatever you need to say, but understand this. In Jesus, God speaks to His Son, His, hum his human Son, into humanity, and affirms His love and His delight. For everyone who's ever wondered whether God loves you, or God cares about you, understand that Jesus has opened up heaven. And what we hear from heaven is God's love and His delight. Jesus begins His ministry as Messiah, anointed by the Spirit, who empowers Him for ministry and affirms His acceptance by the Father. What does that mean for us? Well, we have followed Jesus into the waters of baptism in order to identify with his death and resurrection. We also follow Jesus into the embrace of the Holy Spirit. And maybe you're like me, maybe not, but you think, oh man, I'd love to, I'd love to experience the Holy Spirit like that. Oh, you, that's why the story's there. We also follow Jesus into the embrace of the Spirit. Jesus is the one, the mighty one, who comes to baptize us in the Spirit. He comes to bring us into vital contact with the Holy Spirit. We, too, receive the Spirit who remains upon us, who remains with us. The Spirit then, in like manner, empowers us to live for Jesus and live like Him. The Holy Spirit is entirely necessary and totally sufficient for you to be a disciple of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is entirely necessary and totally sufficient for you to be a disciple of Jesus. He defines and determines and empowers and affirms our discipleship. The Holy Spirit also affirms to you and I that God loves you and has accepted you. Oh my goodness, I don't know how many believers 
I don't know how many of us still act like God, his attitude toward us is, well, you're forgiven, but against my better judgment. <laughs> well, you're forgiven. I'll let you in. I'll let you in, John Kramer, but you better get to work. You better earn your keep, boy. I want to just challenge you a little bit that the the voice of God toward you is not different than what you hear the voice of God toward Jesus. If you're hearing a voice that accuses and condemns, that's not from heaven. Because when heaven burst up wide open, the first thing we hear is, I love you and you bring me joy. No one's saying that, we've already addressed it. If you say, oh, that preacher, he's not talking about sin. I've I've talked about it. Rewind the tape. The judgment is real. And we have a choice between being bathed in God's favor by his spirit or facing the judgment of fire. But if we will follow Jesus... If you will follow Jesus, the only voice you will hear is God's love and acceptance. Romans 5, 5 says that the love of God has been poured out. That means that's, a, that's not like dribbled out or spilled out. That's a gusher. That phrase is a gusher. Somebody say gusher. Let's just say it that way. The love of God has been gushed out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That same image of the Holy Spirit coming is here. That Paul saying that coming of the Spirit is, is, uh, is concurrent with the gushing forth of God's love toward you. Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says, Beca-. you might say, well, that was unique because Jesus, he's clearly the Son of God. I'm a son of something else, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I've been called a son of a lot of things, you know. Uh, no, 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 no. Listen, Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 says, because you are sons. Now, that is not, nobody needs to get triggered or have, you know, task, uh, toxic masculinity going on. This is, a, this is a, 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 an ancient euphemism that simply has to do with being a child. Because you are sons. And, 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 and you know, honestly, you wouldn't want it to say daughters in that case because that would have meant sociologically you would have been in a different class. But everybody is included in this class. Because you are sons. Someone say that. Because you are sons. When you, when you look to Jesus, when you follow Jesus, you are sons. You are God's kid. You are his son. You are his beloved in whom he delights. Listen, because you are sons, God has sent Forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Our hearts cry out, Daddy, God. That's unreal. Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You now, because of you, when you follow Jesus through those waters of death and life, when you follow Jesus into that embrace of the Holy Spirit, you come to a place where you now stand shoulder to shoulder with Jesus before your heavenly Father. I can't explain it, but I'm sure glad for it. The Holy Spirit's coming and anointing 
His coming upon our life, His anointing and His affection enable and empower and define and determine our discipleship. So what do we do today? Today, we, we see and give thanks that we have followed Jesus into his death and resurrection. Can I ask you to stand together as we do that? Give thanks that we have followed Jesus into his death and resurrection, that his baptism makes our repentance and baptism meaningful. We identify with Him. We obey God's will and consecrate ourselves to do His purpose. And we say we, that we believe that we have died with Christ and have been raised to newness of life. And that we are saved because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Next service, right at this time, we're gonna walk, I'm gonna walk over there. And folks are gonna follow Jesus into the waters of baptism. If you haven't been baptized in water, stay. Run to the store and grab a pair of britches. Or just stay. We got towels. If you have not followed the Lord into the waters of baptism, today's your day. We have water. I've got heaters in there. It'll be above room temperature. Right now, just give him thanks, will you? Let's just give him thanks. Lord, we give you thanks. Thank you, Lord, for, for, for new life. Thank you, Lord, that the old life is gone. Thank you, Lord, for washing away our old life, our old sin, our old way of life. Thank you, Lord, that, the, that all that is old, all that is sin has been washed away. It's been drowned Thank you, Lord, that we participate with you in your death and your resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that because you walked out of the grave, we are walking too. We thank you for real life and real hope, resurrection and newness of life today. Father, I would encourage you, friends, to do this in some way or somehow. Maybe open your heart, open your hands like this. Lord, today, like Jesus, we receive and rely upon the anointing of your Holy Spirit. We receive and rely upon the anointing of your Holy Spirit to live for Jesus and to live like Him. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that your anointing is entirely sufficient, totally sufficient, entirely sufficient and necessary. You are, you are, I absolutely depend on you, and you are totally sufficient for me to live for Jesus, to be His disciple. Let your anointing come freshly upon us today. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Lord Jesus, bring us freshly into vital contact with the Holy Spirit today that we might be your disciples. Let us be your disciples. We follow Jesus.